Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So today we are back in the newsroom and we are talking about legislation in Wales that is coming out towards the middle of this year. Now this legislation is really important if you are investing in Wales. It effectively gives tenants 12 months tenure because you can't evict them now until they're in six months of their contract and you have to give them six months notice. So please do listen to that debate. And the question is, do you think this will come over to England or not? We're also talking about the market predictions and what the panel think is going to happen in the property market throughout the rest of this year. So please do head over to that review button. Please do leave the show a review. And if you need to contact me, head over to Facebook and check out my Facebook page, which is called Rick Gannon Property. So we've got quite a lot of news we want to discuss today. So I think the first thing I want to bring to the table, and I'd like to discuss this around the room, especially Anthony's on the stage as well, which is awesome. Morning, Anthony. What I want to talk about is some very new legislation that is going to be coming very, very soon. In fact, it's going to be implemented on the 15th of July. Now, a part of what we do here is bringing everybody up to date and making sure that everyone's aware of things that are going on in the market. So specifically, there is an awareness campaign at the moment for landlords as law changes are going to be imminent. So a national awareness campaign has been launched to prepare landlords for the implementation of the Renting Homes Wales Act 2016. Now, this is going to become law on July the 15th. Now, even if you're not from Wales, you need to know this because generally speaking, what happens in Wales doesn't always stay in Wales. And what happens in Scotland doesn't always stay in Scotland. Now, this has been described by the Welsh government as the biggest change to the private rental sector landscape in that country for over a decade. The main changes brought in by the article will include the following. All landlords being required to provide a written copy of what they are calling the occupation contract to the contract holder. So they're dropping the word tenant and they're not calling this an AST. It's going to be called an occupation contract. Now, this sets out the rights and responsibilities of both parties. Section 21 style no fault notice periods are ceasing. Now, this is what's going to happen, folks. And this is the big one. Are we going to see this coming over to England? I don't know. But two month notice periods are now going to be increased to six months. And you can't issue that notice within the first six months. So effectively, this means that the tenants have got a 12 month security of tenure. And then on top of that, we've got the standard electrical safety checks, carbon monoxide checks, and your standard gas safety certificate. But the big thing here is 12 months. So we can't use section 21 um, in Wales unless the tenant has been given six months notice at the six month period. What do we make of this, everyone? I mean, I know, do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? And do you think that this is going to be rolled out to England? Because very often these cases do 
sort of come out organically. So let's go around the table. So we'll start with Roxanne. What are your thoughts on this, good or bad? Uh, a little scary, I have to say. Um, I, I, I kind of think we, does that mean we need to figure out how to set up a different type of contract? Is there anything right, so else there's going, that there's would going be to be, used? yeah, so there was, there's going to be two types of contracts. Now, according to the research that I've done, because I've done a little bit on this, ASTs will be no more. And there'll be two types of what they're calling an occupation contract. So there's going to be a secure contract and a standard contract. Now, it's going to be similar to an AST. Um, and the government have actually released an example of a standard contract. So if you go over to Google and if you just type in draft renting homes model Wales, then you'll you'll get to see the, the standard contract that's been introduced. And just to add to this, that Section 21 is going to be replaced with something called Section 186 and Section 173 notices. Section 8 is going to be the same, but they're going to be 17 grounds. Um, so it's all going to be very, very different. Okay, well, I guess, <laughs> yeah, it seems a bit overwhelming with all that, not knowing all the detail, but um, being locked in for 12 months sounds a little crazy, um, especially since some tenants don't want anything that's 12 months, especially recently with lockdown, I've had to be much more flexible. Um, so I wouldn't want, I'd hate the idea of being tied in myself for 12 months, but the tenant can walk away anytime. Um, but, but by the sounds of it, there's a lot of, a lot to read there and understand. Mm. Um, it's just maybe there's a way around it. Yeah, I don't think there's a way around it. I think no. there's going to be a way around it at all. It's just emerging at the moment. So well, there is an awareness campaign now. Now it also says that every, every tenant needs to have a copy of this new agreement um, or every contract holder, sorry, because they're not calling them tenants, on the 15th of July. Now, it doesn't say whether current and existing tenants are going to be grandfathered or whether everybody has to be reissued with this occupational contract. Anthony, good morning, sir. Now, I know you're in Wales. Do you have any, any knowledge on this? Yeah, I, I, not deep knowledge. Um, so, as a landlord in Wales, you have to be a member. Not everybody is, but you should, should be a member of Rent Smart Wales, which you pay for the privilege of, um, and they only three days ago sent out a brief email, which didn't work properly, as in they were meant to be click-on buttons, but they didn't work, with just a one-pager saying these are the differences. Now, I'll be honest and say I've not looked into those details yet, so I'm intrigued by, um, you probably have more knowledge than I do at the moment. But there's certainly, I know in some of the WhatsApp groups I'm a member of, people are asking the question, does anyone know about this? So there seems to be some awareness going on. Typically, as with most areas, Wales being no different, there's some landlords who are, like myself, well, almost up to speed. But there will be a number of landlords who will certainly not be up to speed on this. So to get it in by June, I think, will be some going. But as you say, it'll be interesting whether there are grandfather rights, because the thought of having to reissue all new contracts and therefore would they be on the new terms where of course you've signed them up to different terms so would they therefore get the new terms which all you know I'm fortunate I think I think what it will do it'll make you make sure you get the right tenants in the first place because what you don't want as we all know you know I typically give a six-month tenancy in the first place 
if the tenant has been good within the six months and pays on time, I then reissue, and if they wish, I will give them a 12-month tenancy. Um, that's typically what I what I tend to do. So um, this will obviously change that. Thank you, Anthony. Just fumbling around trying to unmute myself there. You raise a good question there. If you, I, you know, this is what I think is going to happen because what, what they want, the Welsh government wants everyone to be in the same level playing field. So I think they're going to push landlords to get everybody onto this occupational contract rather than give them grandfather rights. I think they probably will have to give them grandfather rights because, as you say, Anthony, when they were signed up, they were signed up onto an AST contract subject to the Housing Act conditions at that time. But I think for a lot of landlords, it's going to be very difficult and people don't, you know, I, I don't know, it's going to be really, really hard. And I think the Section 8 needs to be a lot more robust, doesn't it? And I suspect, you know, we're going to see the repeal of Section 21 in England anyway. It's been on the cards. It's part of the Renters' Reform Bill. It's just not happened yet. So we're going to see something very similar, I'm sure, moving forwards. So thank you for that. Um, Sam, what are your thoughts on this? Hi, Rick. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's clear my throat there. So there's quite a bit on this one. I think for me, one big factor here is it's another example, sorry, it's another example of um, a piece of legislation that's got really, really good intentions, but ultimately damages the sector. And also, I think it damages the tenant experience. Because by getting rid of the option for no-fault evictions, like we have in Section 21, we, in HMOs, often use, well, I say often, not that often, fortunately, but it is a useful tool for when you've got a tenant who is okay, they might be a bit borderline, but they're just not a good fit and they're making four or five of the tenants very uncomfortable in their home. Um, there is a time to use a Section 21 no-fault eviction to maintain a, you know, a, a, a better living environment where maybe the threshold of behaviour by tenants doesn't rise to the needs of a Section 8. So I think you're right, Section 8 needs to be more robust. Section 21s do serve a valuable function and they're a valuable tool um, to be used appropriately and responsibly. Um, so there's that. The notice periods, um, the problem you're going to have here is that if you're basically creating a situation where landlords can't essentially um, give tenants to notice to leave until the end of a 12-month period, then they're not going to be incentivized to accept six-month tenancies. So we'll see a huge uptake in 12-month tenancies, I imagine, off the back of this, in Wales. And if it does come over to, the, to England, then it'll be the same there. Again, it's not great because ultimately a lot of our HMO tenants love HMOs for their flexibility for that easy and easy out. Um, so, you know, six months is quite flexible. And we, we sometimes go shorter than that, knowing full well that if they wanted to stay, we couldn't do anything about it. Um, but this expands that issue out to a 12 month window. So it kind of reminds me of the Tenant Fee Act, um, where the Tenant Fee Act was brought in with lots of really good intentions, it sorted out a lot of problems, but it also created some problems for tenants with pets, for example, because we can't charge a fee. Similarly here, it's been bought in with really, really good intentions, um, but I suspect that it won't just be a new challenge for landlords, I suspect it's actually going to affect the tenants' experience as well. Um, and then I suppose the last thing I'd just like to throw to this is um, they're now called contract holders um, under an occupation agreement. So I suppose there's a danger that under an occupation agreement we start calling them occupiers and obviously that's got a whole separate different um, kind of connotation around it. So um, yeah, another example where legislation is brought in with really good intentions but not necessarily by people on the ground in the sector I don't imagine. Um, so I suspect this probably will affect the tenants experience negatively. 
you know, I think it's going to happen. I think um, loads of people now are going to be pushed towards getting more and more insurance. And I think that's a great idea. You know, tenant protection insurance. Um, I think those companies are going to do exceptionally well from this. Um, it's not something that I personally use at the moment, but I will consider this as and when I suspect this legislation rolls out towards England, certainly for sure. Uh, good morning, Toyin. How are you today? Did you have any comments on this? Good morning. Um, I think my initial thoughts are definitely I um, the tenant the tenant tenants onboarding process would have to be a lot tighter. Um, some tenants that we would have initially conceded, then um, if we know we're going to be locked in and um, potential of not getting them out if if there are issues, then it means I mean I think we need to know and understand exactly how this would affect if you have an unpaying tenant, even though they've they're secured by the twelve month tenancy. Um, but so I suppose they will be allowed to go. But then I I, I just I just imagine tenants will be more affected because I'd much rather have a property that is. Um, empty for 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 slightly longer in terms of the void period to get the right tenants than to risk having someone that I'm not entirely sure because when we we do we where we do our um prem process right now there's sometimes is you're not hundred percent sure but you give them the benefit of doubts tying up a few bits knowing fully well that you can actually get them out if there are issues but with this it sounds more like you're going to be have to be very stringent and I think also um it also gives room to um more, more looking looking at um. Um, more, more, other strategies, things like service accommodation, because it just makes it appeal even more now, knowing for the world you're entering a, entering a contract, oh, you know. Toyin, Toyin, you've said it now. You said the SA word, and Dave's just below you. Look, you've said it. It's going to get all wound up now. <laughs> ready for it. I know ready what you're saying. It, <laughs> you're ready for it. We're coming over soon. We're coming over. Um, I, I understand what you're saying, and I think, you know, lots of people have said, it's going to make us have a more robust policy when it comes to taking on tenants. But we don't always get it right. Now, I do believe that we as a business and my company, New Era, have got a very stringent, very robust policy, but we still don't get 100% right. Now, I'll give you an example. We took a kid on at Christmas time and we gave him a chance because we like to try and do that. It was his first time away from home. We referenced really well, no, no credit issues. Um, he's got a guarantor, et cetera, et cetera. And we took him on and he didn't pay any rent and he's not paid any rent. And we're now going to have to go down the route of eviction under section eight, because what he did was he pulled the wool over our eyes and he blagged everything. He blagged his guarantor's email address and, and, and et cetera. Now that's, you know, that's a minority. We don't normally get it wrong, but it's still going to be a case of, you know, we can only be as good as we can be with the information that we're given at the time. And some tenants are still going to slip under that net. Now, it just beggar the problem, really. It's not really for unpaid rent specifically, because we can still evict under Section 8, you know, after month one, because they pay in advance. We can give them two weeks notice and we can evict them under Section 8. And hopefully they go. It's the problem we get with tenants that are antisocial. And the problem that tenants that fall out with other tenants. So we've had in the past quite several times, lots of people would probably, you know, be in the same boat as this. You take a tenant on, they pay their rent, there's no issues, but they simply just don't get on with the rest of the house. Now, we can't use any grounds under Section 8 for that. And we do have to rely on either buying them out of their contract lawfully, getting a deed of surrender or using Section 21. Now, can you imagine if you've got no grounds under Section 8, because there's nothing unlawful. They're not really being antisocial. They're just not the right tenant. And you've got to wait six months to give notice and then another six month notice period. All of the other housemates are going to move out. 
it's going to be horrendous. You're just not going to be able to have that element of, you know, having that belt and braces. And that's what Section 21 is really meant for us, is being able to get rid of tenants that are just not suitable. Anybody? That's a bit of a rant, by the way. No, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. This is my whole whole point with this, is that, <clears throat> you, you know, the tenants ultimately the ones to suffer. I mean, maybe Rick and I might be coming to this a little bit from a HMO um, heavy perspective, but we've both got other properties um, in single nets and, and uh, other strategies. But certainly for HMOs, I mean, this is... Getting rid of Section 21 without there being a much more robust and flexible Section 8 is going to be killer. But I can't see us being offered a Section 8 that's going to be as flexible as we realistically need it to be. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with Rick. I mean, it's interesting that one solution that Rick's proposed there was um, about taking out these rent guarantee insurances at the correct time. Um, I like that. I, I Every time um, they come up in front of me, I'm always tempted. I've never pulled the trigger, but I'm always tempted. So I'm sure that might be the case. I'm open to other solutions. So if people in the audience want to pop their hand up, come join us. Um, mm. I'm truly, truly open to whoever suggests solutions. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, we've got, I'm going to come over to Scott in a minute, and then we're going to go over to Dave. Sorry, guys, to keep you waiting, but I'm quite passionate about this. Now, we've got a, a brand new HMO, well, I say brand new, it's about, mm, it was commissioned maybe about eight months ago. And it's one of our flagships. So we've done a lot of work on it. We've got Banksy prints in there. We've got televisions in every room. We give them Netflix in every room. And it really is our flagship. So there's no reason for anybody really to move out. There's no real reason to have a big churn of tenants in that HMO property. Now, what we've found over the last three or four months are tenants are moving in and either requesting to move out early or they're giving notice at the six month period and going. And it's been a little bit of a confusing element for us. It's in a great area, it's in a cul-de-sac, no reasons for the churn. Now it's come to light that one of the last tenants that moved made a, a fleeting comment when they left to say that there is a particular tenant in the house that is harassing everyone. Now this actually makes a lot of sense. Now that particular tenant has never been a problem. They, as far as we're concerned, uh, or he hasn't caused any antisocial behavior, got a very good job, paid the rent on time, no problems at all. But now it's causing a churn of tenants because there's clearly an issue. Now, the only element that we can use is Section 21. We've got no grounds under Section 8, and most of the grounds under Section 8 are discretionary grounds anyway. So we could get to court, and it would be very, very discretionary, up to the judge to award possession or not. And based on the information we've got, it's very weak. So we are we're bound by section 21. That's the only thing that we can use. Now, had that taken away from us, it could destroy that business because in 12 months time, there wouldn't be any tenants left there. So I do feel quite passionate about that. So Scott, I know you were flashing. I'm going to come to you and then we're going to go over to Dave. Scott, are you there? Nothing here from Scott. Dave? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in there. Um... I got a couple of um, views on this, really. Um, what for, the first view is, um, I just I, we're into service, to, obviously into service accommodation. I say obvious, obviously, um, but it just, it just kind of always when they bring these new things out for for landlords, it just you know consolidates exactly why we Sorry, do service accommodation. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, Scott, could you yeah. mute for us? You're coming yeah. over. Thank you. Cheers. Sorry about that. Yeah, so this just consolidates why I do um, serviced accommodation, really. I'd much prefer to deal with guests rather than, than tenants because of all these 
imposed changes that they make on a, on a regular basis. Um, we don't have as much of that regulation in the service accommodation market yet. Um, but one of the other things, so the other angle I want to look at on this is like, you know, if, if when things change in the market and the market disrupts, that always, always, always brings about opportunity. Now, whether that's, you know, opportunity for HMOs to go into service accommodation or HMO people, HMO operators leaving the market because of this, this, it just, it always opens up some sort of, dis disruption always opens up some sort of opportunity in the market. So, um, yeah, I just want to put that forward, really. And, um, and just, yeah, uh, just, just say to people, look, if, if, if things that change, change can be a good thing in terms of, you know, opening up opportunities. So sometimes it's best to sit tight and wait and just see what happens from the rest of the market. Because it could be that it's a benefit to you. Sit tight and wait. You know, I think you may raise a really good point. And, you know, being good entrepreneurs, being good business people, you've got to adapt. And you can't focus and try and control the things that you can't control. Now, it's nice that we've been giving a little bit of warning on this. You know, we've got until July. But I mean, I could take this right back to EPCs. We're not going to talk about EPCs today. But, you know, actually, who is doing anything at the moment? in order to try and get their EPC levels up to see, is anyone doing anything? You know, I don't, want to, I don't want to debate that, but we get given all of these warnings and we're always lastminute.com all of the time. And I'm kind of a little bit to blame with that as well because life takes over, you put your head in your sand and you bury it. And that's why I want to bring this to the table because I know that we do have Welsh investors, you know, with Anthony on the stage as well. We've got lots of people within our community that are in Wales. It's time to get your ducks in a row and expect it in England, folks, because generally speaking, that's what happens. So good morning, everyone. We are the Property Breaking News Room and Debate. Today, this morning, I'm bringing to the table a bit of an awareness campaign for landlords in Wales, because there is a national awareness campaign at the moment to say that from July the 15th, you will no longer be able to use an AST Housing Act contract. What you'll need to use is one of the government approved or the Welsh government approved occupational contracts, which also means that you cannot give notice under, well, I don't know what grounds, it's kind of 168, I think they're calling it. You can't give grounds a notice for six months and then you've got to give six months notice. So effectively, the tenant is going to have a 12 month tenure. So we're going to move on from that. Pull to refresh, everyone. Don't forget, everyone, follow the mods. I've put a link in the top of the group today. If you would like to um, check it out, it's my TikTok profile. I know lots of people go, oh, TikTok, it's funny dances and, 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 and it's not for adults. Well, actually, TikTok's been around for a little bit now. It's the biggest platform at the moment across the whole of the world. So if you are interested in coming over to follow my content, I post about four videos a day on TikTok. And of course, it's completely free of charge. So if you're interested in property, and if you want some little snippets of info on a daily basis, click on that link and then just click on that follow button. Next up in today's news, a right move have been hit by inflation fears for the housing market. Now, this is actually quite a grounding report. Fears that the housing market may be seriously damaged by the worsening economy led to share price falls for Rightmove and for others yesterday. The drop of over 4% in the case of Rightmove followed the release of the latest economic data from the government's Office of National Statistics. Now, the figures showed that UK employees saw their wage rises wiped out 
by surging inflation late last year. Weekly earnings, excluding bonuses, rose by 3.8% in the past year, while inflation is now at a 30-year high of 5.4%. Now, the ONS forecasts that inflation is likely to hit around 6% by April, the highest figure for a decade, and coinciding with the lifting of the government's energy price cap, which some suggest may trigger substantial domestic fuel bill rises. Now, analysts suggest that Rightmove was amongst the sharpest fallers on the London Stock Exchange because of worries about the economy's impact on the housing market in the light of predicted interest rate rises later this year. Now, a senior investment and market analyst at business consultancy Hargreaves says that the financial and labour markets have batted away the Omicron virus like an annoying fly, but worries are increasing that inflationary pressures combined with an income squeeze could come with a painful sting. So the right move was one of the biggest fallers as worries resurface that it's the beginning of the end of the red hot housing market and the rest of the companies that also got hit are as follows. Right move are down by 4.2%. Purple bricks down by 2.9%. LSL property services down by 1.7%. Winkworth down by 1.5%. Savills by 0.6%. And Foxton's down by 0.4%. Wow. This is the first damning report that I've seen actually as a sentiment as whether the market is going to fall or whether it's going to start taking a bit of a downward turn. Would anybody like to come in and comment on that? I think it's quite uh, quite a surprising report. Um, I, yeah, I'd jump in first. Okay, actually, I'll tell you what, Roxanne, you flash. You go first. Uh, no, so just quickly, Rick, why do you think it's surprising? Weren't we expecting inflation? Yeah, inflation, yes. But, you know, the, the, the underlying comments on here is that it's the end. You know, this is the end insight of the red hot housing market. Is it now going to start to take a huge downturn? Now, one of the hot topics across all of the socials is, are we going to have a crash? Are we going to have a crash? Now, nobody has got any type of crystal ball. But every report that I've read, every analysis that I've undertaken, certainly over the last six months, up until about two weeks ago, have all suggested that it might cool off a little bit, but it's not going to be damning, it's not going to be huge, and it's not really going to be that impactful. Mm. According to this report, it might be the other way. Well, it is news. They want they want to create fear, don't they? That's the best way to get people to read your headlines. Um, Right. Well, if this has a knock on it, it'll be interesting to see all the construction and kind of the construction companies get hit next then. Because, you know, the large um, developers, they they should possibly be the next ones to get to, to get hit with this as well. Right. Sam, what do you think? Um, this is a really interesting story. And this is something that I follow quite closely. Um, certainly over the last probably two years, I've been very, very mindful of inflation and interest in the relationship they have. Um, so absolutely, I mean, Rick's obviously given the news there. Um, BBC have got a headline today of cost of living rising the far, fastest pace of 30 years. Financial Times have got a headline of UK inflation jumps to the highest level in 30 years. So we're certainly seeing all the indications that we really are having this inflation. It's interesting to see that the, you know, what it did to their share prices. 
But what we have to bear in mind is that worst case is always priced in immediately on the share price. Um, you're buying the uncertainty of the future. And we know the uncertainty and the sentiments there. So I don't think that's necessarily indicative. Um, I mean, anybody, we've got a lot of experienced property investors on stage. I, I recognize quite a lot of very experienced faces in the audience as well today. And whilst stocks will price in uncertainty almost immediately, um, it's fair to say that the process of a house price reflecting comparables and reflecting uh, a local market and a local kind of uh, um, economy in and around house movers is a much slower process. So in that regard, I don't think we're necessarily looking to a cliff edge um, from that. The MPC's next meet is at the start of February, so we'll probably get an indication of what's going to go on with interest rates then. But even there, I'm kind of expecting very modest, um, very measured sensible steps forward what i'd be amazed at is i, I wouldn't imagine they're going to turn around and and knee jerk us up you know 0.75 or even one percent I, I i suspect if we see another increase it's a quarter of a percent at a time and it's very slow and it's very measured because ultimately if they bring up interest rates too fast to try to control and cool the inflation um what we are going to see is they're going to erode a lot of the value of the money that they've pumped into the market over the last 24 months. Um, they've done so much to stimulate this market that I just can't, I mean, I hate to say the term too big to fail. Um, it feels like I'm jinxing it, but it, I kind of almost feel like too much money has been put into the housing market to sustain it, to prevent a crash, that a crash now, or at least a crash under the current administration's uh, regime, is um, almost the last thing that they would let happen it's not to say that it's not coming. I suspect we might we will probably see a dip of some description, um, maybe even a, a mini crash in the next kind of five years, five to five to seven years. But I just it just feels too big to fail. It feels like there's too much money put into it for the current regime to let it um, let it fail. Although if you're following the news, who knows how long we'll have the current government for? So I suppose that's that's kind of my thoughts in and around it. But I'm I'm expecting a very measured response as the year goes on. Anybody else want to come back? Yeah, on I'm happy yeah. Sure. Um, just a quick question. So uh, I think I miss. I maybe missed a little bit at the beginning of this. So we're talking about the stock market prices for right move decreasing. Is that, is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Off the back of the news that inflation has hit a 30-year high. Okay. So the, oh, the stock markets across the world have, um, had a, have been hit. It's not because of that. It was because of, a, because of the Omicron variant. Every time some news comes out about the about um, you know some sort of stuff around COVID or the Omicron, that, that's what hit the markets. It's nothing to do with inflation. There we go. So, just, so this was literally off the back of the report from yesterday, though, Dave. So um, the and uh, you know following again the news and the reports on Omicron at the moment. I mean, cautiously, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed when I say this, but things are looking. Uh, certainly, the data that's been released over the last two weeks seem to be very positive. Um, economically for the UK, whereas this obviously report came out yesterday about inflation. So it's, it is interesting, but you're absolutely right. There's obviously a myriad of factors there. So, okay, that's grand. Um, Scott, you're there flashing away. Do you want to come on in? Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I think um, just on Dave's point, you know, there's going to be this broad sell-off as the concern over Omicron um, dissipates. And, and that's going to be a broad whole market sell-off if this is quite particular to certain stocks, then that's going to be possibly 
other reasons and, and the weighting on those reasons is going to be different. So we just have to look at it as a whole and, and see what's going on. And I think one of the things about this inflation is that it's going up, it's going to continue to go up, but as things get back to normal, it should level off. And interest rate rises tend to impact most greatly at around 15 to 18 months forward. So they have to see that in 2023, there's going to be an inflation problem before they act. So they, I think to Sam's point, you're right, they're going to move slowly and measuredly because they don't want the psychological impact to take effect now and get people to slow down now at all. That's my thought. Thanks very much, Scott. Toyin flashing over. We'll go to Toyin in a moment. Just before we do, um, can I just ask you, Scott, just a quick, uh, a quick rebuttal question, I suppose. Um, if our view is that interest rates are going to move slowly up, I'm going to ask Dave the same question as well if he's, if he's there. Um, at the moment, are you expecting interest rates to go up this year? And if so, are you presently fixing mortgages for as long as possible? Or have you got a slightly different approach? Yeah, we, um, we just fixed the, our last mortgage in December that came up. We fixed that one. It's the first time we've fixed um, in six years. Um, and we th it's just because we think it's going to, it, it is going to go up a little bit more possibly because inflation has gone out of it's not just transitory as as the word is so i think there's slow measurements going up but they can reverse it very quickly as well remember in 2008 2009 how quickly we went from three and a half to zero or almost zero so it, it can be in months being a reversal so they they're probably more likely to try to stem things off if things continue through into this uh, midway, three quarters of the way through the year. But I can see a quarter to three quarter of a um, percent increase this year if things continue on the trajectory they've been on. Okay. I, um, we, we, um, I definitely think that the interest rates would rise um, of some sort this year. And what we've been doing is been, um, I mean, actually from last year, we've been fixing um, most of our mortgages um, and, and, and I think actually we had a 10 year fixed last year actually um, to, to one of our um, blocks of apartments. Now the reason why we do this is not just because of the inflationary rate. I think the larger our portfolio has gotten, I think it's, it's, we've just taken the sensible approach to protect some of the um, from some, some of the interest rate just so we can um, reduce the amount of moving parts and have a bit of um, some sort of clarity as to where the, the, the costings and the rest of that. So, so it's not just because of the interest rates, it's just because of our own personal circumstances, just to make sure we actually have a good idea of how everything would be. But going back to your point, Sam, um, I think, um, I, I definitely think that the, this news is not an indicative of what the market would do. Um, yes, it does give some bearing, but it doesn't, I don't think it's, it's necessarily um, a direct impact. And certainly if you look at what the market is doing at the current time, it doesn't still look like it doesn't. It's still not showed any signs of slowing down. There's still so much demand. You still getting viewings is a lot, and, and it's, it's still it's still a difficult thing. You still have lots of offers coming in from the estate agent. There's still so much competition going on. So much so that I don't think it's just going to be a cliff edge and there will just be a crash. I think it's going to be um, eased out if at all, and it would it would definitely take a, a, a while for that to happen. All right. 
Yeah, I'd just like to pitch in on that as well, if I can. Um, so the question is to fix or not to fix. What is the answer, right? So for me, it's to fix. Where we're at right now, um, inflationary pressures on the government are wanting to increase inflation across the UK. They've built up so much debt. The only way to erode that debt is to increase, increase inflation. So the actual money is worth less, right? So that's what they do. Now, the only way, it's not the only way, but one of the, 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 the ways of um, controlling that inflation, and remember the, um, the, the Bank of England who set the interest rates, they're, they're not supposed to be governed by the government, but are they really? They all sit in the same clubs. They all, you know, they all know each other. They will have to increase, in my opinion, interest rates. They'll have to, to slow down that inflationary pressure pressure it's got to be done so it will happen but they will do it over a slow period of time it won't they won't just whack interest rates up to stupid percent because that would just wouldn't be conversant with the government and what they're trying to do with the inflationary pressures to erode their debt now so to fix or to not to fix fix right now because if you know the position that you're in right now and that's in a that's a good place for you you can fix that for the next sort of five years then, of course, that would be a good place to be, right? So for me, it's to fix. Thanks, Dave. And just really quickly before we move on, we've got Trevor's come up as well. I'd like to get Trevor involved. But Dave, just before we move on to Trevor, um, when you say to fix, at the moment, are you fixing for two years, five years? Do you mind me asking? Is that, five. Is that I'm, you have to I'm kind fixing of five. If I can get them on five-year fixed, I take five-year fixed. I'm doing five as well, and even ten. I was going to say, Toyin, when you said ten, I'm not going to lie, my eyes lit up and said, actually, do you know what? Yeah, on the right deal, I probably would fix as long as I can as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Trevor, are you there? Do you want to come in on this? Yeah, I, I do. Hi, Morning. everyone. Um, I was just going to talk in regards to interest rates. Um, it's definitely on the um, it's not definitely on the up in regards to interest rates in the UK as well as the US. The US has a big, um, big um, how can I say, a big um, increase coming in regards to uh, the Fed because... Um, interest rates at the moment that they're holding back but um bets have been rising from all of the major investment banks that there is going to be an interest rate and i think once the fed starts increasing we'll see more increases in the uk as well but come february i think there will be definitely an increase and in regards to um your mortgages you'd be silly not to be fixing for a longer term because we're on the way up i mean inflation has eroded all the increases in salaries over the past um, end of the year and all, all the um, inc other increases that we've had as well. So um, the government has only one way, only one tool in its toolbox, which is inflation, which is to use the interest rates to um, reduce the inflation. So it's definitely on the up. How high it goes, it's been predicted that by the end of the year it's 1%, but just with the figures that we got uh, earlier on today, the CPI figures, it came out at 5.4, which was higher than expected. So that's another span in the work. So um, February is going to be very interested. They initially um, quoted 0.15 points, but I can see 0.25 to 0.30 points. But uh, definitely by the end of the year in the UK, I, I cannot see it being under 1%. So in regards to your um, investments, fixed term, definitely go for five years. That's in my opinion. That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Trevor. Out of interest, um, so the CPI figure is 5.4. Do you think that's on money or do you think it's a bit higher than that in reality? Oh, it's always definitely higher than that in reality um, because there's a lot of other um, measures which are not um, being taken into account. 
absolutely absolutely and obviously so you know inflation's always a bit of a funny one the way in which it's is calculated um i do you know absolutely loving this debate this morning i think it's really interesting to get an insight to everybody else's views what they're doing in their business reality is when we're fixing a mortgage for five years that's a big move that's a big move and it's something that's going to be with us we have to live with that for multiple years into the future um so for people in the same situation hopefully it's helpful to get some insight um anybody else want to come back in on this before we move on to the next news story Scott, you're flashing. Yeah. Please do. Yeah, I'd love to come in, Sam. Just on a couple of things, it's good to remember our um, going from the general to the specifics because inflation you can look at in a couple of ways. Asset inflation, which we saw um, over the last decade from the, from the great financial crisis, um, but we didn't see wage inflation. So when, when you're talking interest rates, you also have to think about, hey, yeah, it'll slow down housing market a little bit maybe, yes. But it's also going to put the um, cost of living up for people who don't have those assets. And that's going to really hit them disproportionately. So it's a balance that the government has to take. And when we talk about crashes as well, or if the market's coming off, it's good to put a percentage or some sort of number because people hear crash. And I think a lot of people tend to be 80, 90% um, collapse type scenario or even 50 and a crash typically is is about 30%. And, um, and a, you know, a 10% adjustment in the market, you might see a 10% adjustment in the market, but even that's pretty, pretty big um, because a lot of wages were increased last year. Not all of them, but some, there were quite a few areas where wages were increased. Um, but we also have to look, there were some real areas that got hit hard. So when we're looking at the landscape, we have to remember not just that the, the companies that are making the headlines in the news because they're up 12% and, and this is happening and this is happening. You have to remember all the ones they're not talking about that uh, are staying stable or even going down. Grand Scott, thank you very much. Jay, it's just made me think to try and have a little Google. I can't seem to find if there's a specific threshold before we define it as a crash as well. Because I think you're right, when people hear crash, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of family who, when I got into proxy, said, oh, don't, I mean, this is, I mean, we're going back a few years now, but they go, oh, don't do that, we're about to have a crash. Um, what is a crash in their minds? It's never crossed my mind until you said that, but actually, I do genuinely feel that some of my friends and family that are, um, you know, a variety of different ages, different backgrounds, when they say crash, they mean for the market to go to very, very, very close to zero um, to drop down significantly. And actually, obviously, you know, a complete collapse like that is, you know, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's incredibly unlikely versus, as you say, something like a, you know, five to 10% correction, much more realistic. Mm -hmm. um, it's, not big, it's not Bitcoin, is it? You know, I mean, people, <laughs> loads of people, again, you know, inexperienced property investors, perhaps, or inexperienced investors per se, will come to me and say, oh, you, you know, you need to put it in Bitcoin, put it in Bitcoin. Well, it, it's not the same. Now, first of all, don't forget, now, Bitcoin, crypto, yes, you can get good returns. I do understand that. It's so volatile. And I always use the analogy that one day you wake up and you've got enough to buy a house and the next day you wake up and you've got enough to buy a packet of crisps. And that's not going to happen in the property market. It simply isn't going to happen. Now, the other element is that unless you're doing day trading with Bitcoin and your, or crypto, you're getting in and then you're getting out the same day to realize your profit, you're not going to get any residual income because you make your money when you get out. Now, with property, it doesn't matter so much when you get in if you're relying on that monthly residual income. So if you're not trading, 
you're not flipping, but you're actually buying to rent out. And you know, your business is then creating a monthly residual income that's reoccurring, then it doesn't matter too much whether that property goes up or goes down in value, subject to your mortgage conditions and your leverage. But that's kind of what we do. Now, at some point, yes, we probably will sell. But if you buy and hold and wait for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, then I think that we all know that property is only ever going to go one way. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly share that opinion, but it's just interesting to think that actually the non-property people, when they say, oh, don't buy property, it's going to crash, it's going to crash any day now. What do they mean by that? Because they probably don't mean what we mean by it, do they? Well, again, I think this comes down to, you know, the spin, comes down to, you know, all the spin that people see on the in the press. I think people refer back to the crashes that, that we've seen of late, I suppose, the most recent crashes that we've seen, and they refer back to that, you know, but then we interest rates were a, a lot different back then. Things were a lot different back then. So I think they're referring to, you know, the crashes that we saw um, on, the, on the last the last element and, and the one before that. I mean, I've been through, I've been through, I mean, who remembers foot and mouth, um, you know, foot and mouth and swine flu and all of that. I mean, we went through all of that. We saw dips in the property market. It soon recovered, it soon came back. I don't think we're going to see anything like that. I do agree we're gonna see some kind of correction because it has to happen. We can't stay in such a hot market for too long, but I don't think it's gonna be catastrophic. And I think by the end of the year, my predictions are about four and a half, maybe 4.8% up on the same period last year. That, that's my prediction. Yeah, I think I'm probably in the same uh, kind of uh, field there, maybe a little bit less, maybe three to 4%, but I'm, I'm still feeling a, a gentle increase in the market this year again. So Scott, you're flashing there. Yeah, I was just in agreement with uh, with Rick, but also one one other thing I wanted to mention was uh, the interest rates. Um, Trevor noting that a lot of people say there's only one way to go, and that's up. If you look at J Japanese interest rates since 1998, which is what 24 years ago, it's been basically the same, hovering just around zero. So, you know, we've only been in it for 10 years, 12 years, where it's been in the zero range there's a precedent we could easily be another 10 years before it gets above one or even much above where it is now absolutely brilliant well look thank you very much for that oh go on trevor no i was just going to add sentiment is very important in the markets and as you can see with all the news that's coming out it's actually uh causing a lot of people to have fear in the market especially coming april when we're expecting to have all these uh, fuel hikes uh, energy hikes but this is also gonna um, make people start thinking twice in regards to um investing so a lot of people who have money who are sitting on money who want to invest are thinking twice so sentiment is very important and the news is not in a favor of um, push everyone to go out there and be bullish. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, it depends on what report you read, doesn't it? And I think everyone's got to do this for their own reasons. I mean, if you look at Fred Harrison, you know, the guy that got the concept of the 18 year property cycle, if you go and, you know, he's correctly predicted cycles and crashes over the years, he says, and again, it depends on which report you read, but he's got a report in This Is Money saying that property prices will continue to boom before coming down. And he uses the word crashing, but not until 2026. 
So again, you know, this guy's got a lot of credibility. You know, he's he's conceived the 18-year property cycle and he's predicted both crashes, you know, back in 2008 and in the 90s, and they both came true. So yeah, I'm kind of going to go with what he says because he seems to get it right. Absolutely. I, I, I've got to say, this has probably been one of my most enjoyed debates for quite a while. This, is, this has been really, really insightful to get an insight to everybody's thinking around this. Probably one of the biggest issues affecting us over the next 10 years, uh, along with the, um, the energy prices, as Trevor alluded to. Um, we're going to move on now just to one more news story before we wrap up for half nine. Um, now, this next news story is over from Landlord Today. And we've gone from talking about the businesses on a very high level, talking about interest rates, mortgages and inflation, and what that's going to do to us as investors. Now I'd like to go to the complete other end of the spectrum and talk about something very down to earth and that could affect you today. Leaks and water supply problems plague most landlords, according to a survey. Almost three quarters of landlords have experienced an escape of water incident in their properties over the last five years, according to new research from Direct Line Business Insurance. On average, landlords experience an escape of water issue faced 4.8 cases over that period of time. Such incidents are typically pricey for landlords. On average, the normal cost is £458 to pay an emergency plumber to deal with the immediate consequence. It can also take time to address the problem, with emergency contractors taking an average of nine hours to arrive at a landlord's property. With the insurance firm's study found that DIY mistakes make up the majority of the um, causes for the rules to escape issues. Four in ten landlords had tenants move out of their rented property permanently after an escape of water because they were worried it was going to happen again. Over a third said that it caused an argument with their tenants and a quarter reported that their property was so badly damaged from the escape of water that not only did the tenants have to move out but they couldn't let out the property for an extended period. Many landlords are taking steps to minimise the risk of escape of water in their properties. Over a third are ensuring professional tradespeople carry out work in their properties, while 32% are checking that water pipes are properly insulated to stop them from freezing. Landlords also are showing tenants where the stopcock is, so they can turn the water in main supply off quickly, that's 31%, and just over a quarter, 27%, keep clear records of all work, guarantees and warranties, and inspections relating to the plumbing system. However, fewer than one in five have specific insurance in place to help them deal with this kind of emergency quickly. January and February are peak months for frozen water pipes and escape of water claims. Now, obviously, that's a news story from a survey done by Direct Lines. So it's going to be a little bit insurance biased. Um, I'd love to hear from people on stage. Escape of water. You must have had it. Um, right. So can I just start with this? Yes, Who, please. Kick us off. Whoever comes up with these words, escape of water incident. Now, call me old fashioned, Sam. To me, that's a leak, right? So I actually Googled this because I had the same query um, just to check that it was what I meant. Yeah, water anywhere outside of the plumbing system where it's not meant to be. Why escape would of they water. Call it, what we're going to call lack of electric, uh, electric electricity deficit incident. I mean, Electron let's deficiency. Just get back, <laughs> let's just get back to plain English, right? We're talking about water leaks, escape of water incident. I mean, goodness me. Well, do you know, I, I, yeah, absolutely, leaks in any, any way, shape or form. But I suppose, you know, stuff that, I, I wonder if they've used the language to encompass things like an overflowing bath where it's not really a leak, it's negligence on the user's part, maybe. So I'll throw that out. Anybody on stage with an escape of water um, story they'd like to share? Is there anything you're bringing in to, to deal with this? I've got one that I will share, if not to kick us off. I'll tell you what, no one's flashing, so I'll kick us off. I had a letter yesterday. So this is very, very recent from our Thames water supplier. 
um, basically saying that they've ascertained that we have a leak somewhere in a privately owned pipe. So that's between the stopcock on the road and our property. And if we don't fix it by the 15th of February, we'll um, be basically liable for them to come and fix it and we'll have to pay for it. And there's actually potentially a prosecution that goes along with not resolving the issue. So we contacted them straight away and they were really good about it and said, you know, this is why we believe there's a leak. And it turns out what they do, because um, not a metered property, at night when they're doing works in the area, they, and genuinely, they listen to the stopcock to hear if water's flowing into the property. Um, so last night I had a plumber attend our property. We cannot find a leak anywhere. We've isolated all the water. We can't feel any water coming through the stopcock. It's an absolute conundrum to me. So I have to go back to Thames Water today to deal with this. But, um, you know, to get a letter through from Thames Water saying, if you don't fix it, we will fix it. We will charge you and you may face prosecution. It's obviously quite an alarming thing to happen. So it's something completely new to me. Um, and that obviously was a bit of a, a bit of a shakeup. Um, leaks, water, is there anything, anybody run into these issues in the properties? And if so, have you put any steps in place to make you better equipped to quickly isolate them? Are you educating your tenants about where the stopcocks are, for example, in the property? Yeah, we do. Now there is a really great, um, I can't remember what it's called. I don't actually use them, but I have seen fellow investors and landlords use them. And it's a nice little, um, product that you can put on display overtly in the kitchen that if there's a leak you just press the button and it isolates the water for you so that's a really good product for hmos and um, what we tend to do is when we check our tenants in we'll tell them where the the stop tap is and we'll also put that in the house pack so we've got an information pack that we give them that tells them where the stop cock is where the electric supply is and the emergency numbers etc but going on to the water um, the escape of water incident. We had this on a, a lease option that we took on, which we've since purchased, where we had a bill of seven and a half thousand pounds for water. And of course that raised a few eyebrows. And upon investigation, it was actually in the road and it was before it came to our meter. So it was the responsibility of the water supplier. So they fixed it. But then we had another leak about four months later and it was on the other side of the meter. Now, whether it was because of the, the work that they did or you know something else happened, so we complained. And they said, well, actually now this is your responsibility to fix. And again, the bill was in the thousands, it was a lot of money. And I pushed back and said, look, this has only happened since you made the first repair. So something is wrong somewhere with what you've done anyway. Over about four months, they froze the bill for us. They investigated it and they came out and they fixed the second repair for free as well. I'm not sure how many more lifelines we're going to have with that, um, but it can become really expensive if you don't nip it in the bud quite quickly. That's really good to know, Rick. I mean, our one yesterday, I actually had to pop down there to meet the plumber last night. And you can see that the external stop tap, they've done some work nearby. I've been driven past recently. They've been doing works on the water main. And when you take up the cover, you can see that the internal sleeving's cracked. It's a bodge job that's been done very quickly. So I, I've got photos. I'm going to email them over today and hopefully just put a little bit of pressure on them. Um, it's really interesting. So in terms of, um, obviously, you educate your tenants on the way in. Um, one thing that I'm putting together at the moment for each of our properties, I don't know why I haven't done it sooner, is we're putting together a handyman pack for our handyman, which has, I mean, we, we, we tell the tenants where the stop taps are. We probably should be writing that down or including a photo of that in the, in the house pack. But we don't have a document that lists all the products, all the paints, all the you know tile brands that we've used all the way through a property. So when we're refurbishing them, 
most of the time it's pretty easy. We keep spares of everything in, in sensible places. But stop tap last night, handyman went down, couldn't find it. And I know why he couldn't find it. It's because it's inside one of the walls. Um, I knew where it was, so it was quite easy to find. But it's one of those where actually having documents that support the layout of your properties and just the overall maintenance of them, I think it's really, really important. Um, anybody else with a scape of water or a, or, a, or a leak issue? And if so, what have you done to kind of resolve it? Roxanne, you unmuted you there? Yes, sorry. Um, yeah, I've had the same thing as, as Rick, where I received the letter, as you did, and it was actually their, it was their problem. They had done works and they caused the leak. And um, fortunately, I, I didn't have to pay anything. Um, but at, you're right. The, the idea of having a handyman pack sounds like a great idea. I don't have one of those either. And, um, you know, I show my tenants everything um, as they check in. We go through all the key things, the stopcock and stuff. And yet, what happened? I had a major leak. And somehow, the handle on the stopcock wasn't there. So the tenant couldn't even turn it off. I have no clue how that got removed. But it, it's stuff like that. You just think, oh, my gosh. Still running back to the property to sort things out. Absolutely, Roxanne. In this handyman pack, I mean, I'll give you some examples of the stuff we're including. The paints we've used. The reason this inspired the idea, we had a, we had a, actually, funny enough, we had another leak in the property. We got, had to get a little bit of replastering done, a bit of redecorating, and I couldn't, for love nor money, find the paint color, the exact paint color. And again, having that in a handyman pack. Yesterday, I had a phone call. We're doing a refurb on a single lap. Um, what skirting do you want putting into this new room? Oh, um, Taurus skirting. I think we usually use Taurus. Okay, what size is it? Oh, um, I don't know. And I had to go through all my previous orders to find what we'd ordered because I didn't want to spend 45 minutes driving over to the property. So having a document that just lists out everything, it's, cause it's so easy to lose track because obviously I think our taste change as well um, as we go through different properties. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, handyman packs, that's, that's something I'm working on at the moment. I think it's going to be a useful document for us to just have to hand and also to hopefully issue to Gerald, who's our, our like local handyman, um, who works for us a couple of days a week. So yeah, Absolutely. Escape of water, though. Who knew? It was a, a leak has a fancy name of escape of water. Um, anybody else want to come back in on this before we wrap it up for a final comment? No. Ricky, you there? Do you want to do the final comment today or shall I wrap this? That's okay. Thank you, Sam. And again, another great room today, folks. We've had about 200 people collectively. I think 170 actually at the moment. So if you are new here, we're here Monday, Wednesday and Friday just for an hour, having a bit of a chat, kicking it back chilling out talking about property so please do follow all of the people on the stage make sure that you are following everyone that's contributed and if you see the little link at the top there now if you click on that i'll take you over to my tiktok give me a follow on tiktok as well just to follow all of my latest property videos and i release about four or five a day so thank you all once again see you friday don't forget have a little bit of fun take care